It just keeps getting better and better and better. Now, do you know where I come from? <laughs> Can we say it again, please? Oh. <laughs> kind of answered the Let's question. Let's just say it one it? more time. Stop. Stop. It's just too much tension. <laughs> no, keep going, keep going. It kind going. of is. Here it is. Uh. That nebula is called the butterfly nebula. Do you want to say it again? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, good. I don't. The butterfly nebula. Huh? Yeah. Awesome. It's a, it's a real That's one really, there. really neat. So, um, Tobias told us how to make cold. He did. Or did he tell us how to eliminate heat? I think that's what he did, didn't he? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've been testing some of the students that have been regularly attending Science Live. And I'm very pleased to announce that a lot of students are picking up practical science, quite a bit of it, in fact. And that's really good because we're, we're actually turning this into a four-credit class this next year. And so uh, we can get some science credits. But seriously, people, students, are becoming empowered with practical science, which I think is really neat. And that's one of my, one of my big goals. Uh, science is uh, an ability to do th things you just couldn't do any other way. And to think you're actually learning things you can use, like tools, is really exciting. So Tobias was telling us all about a thermometer. Right. And if I understood it right, he said that if you get a thermometer wet and then let the tip evaporate, the temperature will go down. Mm -hmm. And he explained that the reason that the temperature drops is because as the liquid, whether it be water, or he gave us alcohol or, or another chemical, but as it vaporizes or turns to a vapor, it needs energy, and so it pulls heat out of the environment to make it able to do that. So that's a concept. When water evaporates, it pulls heat out of the air. And he told us about things like swamp coolers. In dry parts of the United States and other countries, they have coolers up on a house that have some kind of, of material, sometimes an organic material, plant material, that they drip water over and then they pull air in through it and as the water evaporates, it cools the air. And it really can make a home very cool, even on a hot day, as long as the air is dry. If you get in a humid climate, where there's already a lot of water in the air, they don't work because you don't get much evaporation. 
And that, that is interesting. You know, you can take an idea like that and you can kind of run with it and learn some science. So in our air right now, there is a certain amount of water. And the amount of water that's in the air is called relative humidity. And they call it relative because how much water air can hold depends on the temperature. When air gets warmer, it can hold a lot more water. When it gets really cold, like down around freezing, it can't hold hardly any water. And so they made us memorize that saying. Remember, relative humidity is the amount of water in the air compared to what could be there. <laughs> so if it had all of the water it could hold, it was 100% humid, then if there was any more, it would start raining. So if you take air, and let's say it's 80 degrees, and you have 100% relative humidity, if you cool the air down, it starts raining because the air can't hold all that water, wow. all right? Mm -hmm. And so you have these swamp coolers. If the air is up near 100% humidity, there's no evaporation because water can't, the air can't hold any more moisture. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? You are. So what if, what if you took a thermometer and you put a little outfit on, a little bag of material around the bottom of it, dipped it in water, and then swung it around your head, would the temperature drop? And if, unless it's 100% humid, it would drop, wouldn't mm -hmm. it? It'd cool. And you say, wow, I just dropped the temperature. But what if, being the great scientists we are, what if we took two thermometers and put them both on a little stick? And we put this little wet dress, I don't, bag around <laughs> one of them, and we got it wet. The other one, we just left it dry. So we have a wet bulb and a dry bulb in science terms, okay? And then you swing it around your head. Wait for it. And then you look at it. Then one should be colder than the other, right? Mm -hmm. And how much colder would depend on the humidity if only half the water the air can hold at this temperature is in the air, then it will cool down a certain amount. If it's almost 100%, then it will hardly cool down at all. And you can actually, with just two thermometers and a little bag around one of them that's wet, you can figure out what the relative humidity is. And in fact, someone invented that. Some inventioneer, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> Have you tried this? And it's called a sling, because you sling it around your head, a sling hygrometer. You want to see one? I do. Okay, there it is. Look at it. So see, on the, on the left side is the handle, and on the right are the two thermometers. And if you look, one of them has a little bag around it. That's the one you get wet. Mm -hmm. And then you hold the handle, and it spins around, and then, when you get the two temperatures, you notice the handle's got a little thing there so you can read the relative humidity. How did you know about this? I watch Science Live. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every time. Almost every time, yeah. me too. That, that could be a science fair project right there. Someone invented that. And a lot of fun things you can do with it. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Today is going to be one of our really important discussions because we're going to talk about something really important and something that everybody needs to be completely aware of. Okay. 
And my goal today is, is more ambitious than usually because I intend to put shovel loads of really valuable information in your noogans. Okay. That's a nice word for brain, okay? <laughs> I guess noogan isn't a nice word. But I'd, I'd like to just back up a little bit. A long time ago, um, I saw a microprocessor. Actually, I read about it. A whole computer in a single chip. And in those days, we had mainframe computers. But when I saw the article about that little chip, I realized, oh my goodness, this is going to revolutionize the whole world. And I started telling everybody, and, and you know what? In not very many years, everybody's going to have their own computer, and they could not believe it. They could not believe it. I said, no, it's happening. So I started building the business and a lot of things. What are you doing? And it happened. And it turned out to be very good for me that I knew. Yeah, I'm kind of glad. The gentleman that founded Winnebago Industries, the company that you know that makes the Winnebago Motorhomes, have you ever seen called Little House on the Wheels? I mean Little House on Wheels. Well, John Hansen, the chairman, founder of Winnebago, now deceased, used to tell people about me because he and I became very, very good friends. And what he used to tell them is, Roger Billings sees tomorrow better than most. That's true. And I used to. <laughs> Could it be true? I bet you didn't. And know I had that. one person say, well, so why can you see tomorrow better than most? And I thought, you know, that's a good question. But there is a reason. And I think I learned the beginning precepts of that reason, catching fireflies. I'll just admit, fireflies are one of the mm -hmm. neatest creature, creatures in the whole universe. I mean, in every galaxy I've been to, <laughs> nothing beats fireflies. They are fireflies. Mm -hmm. And if you go out on a nice spring evening, especially after it rains, a lot of flyer, flyer, fireflies are out. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to catch them. Well, I learned real soon that you wait, you, you can't see them until they blink because, you know, they turn off their lights. So I'd watch them and I'd see one and I'd grab at it. I had a little bottle, but I didn't get it. Grab at another one, didn't get it. And then I realized they're moving. And so you watch them blink and then you know about where they're going to be. You lead it a little ways and grab ahead of it and you get them. Scientists call that technique extrapolation. You see where it's going, so you extrapolate, or you predict where it's going to be. And that's where you grab, and there it is. And you know, extrapolation is something you use a lot in science and observation. If we stop and think about it, and then we try to extrapolate, we can actually do a pretty good job sometimes of extrapolating the future. You can actually predict what's going to happen. And you do it by studying what did happen, and then what happened after that, what happened after that. And then this is the part most people don't ever do, but they should. It's the part I love to do. And then you just kind of imagine, so what's going to happen next? Mm -hmm.
And then what's that going to make happen next? And pretty soon you see where things are going to go. And then you go around and you say, we're all going to have our own computers. <laughs> and they say, you're crazy. I know, but I'm going to be crazy with a computer. <laughs> so think about that. Extrapolation. Um, there's a couple different ways of thinking. I don't know if you've ever thought about how you think, but almost everybody thinks with words. And, and that's, that's literally what I mean. I'm communicating to you with words. I'm using English. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in English. I think of it, I say it. I'm, but when I think, I think in words. I think, okay, that guy over there in the white shirt is really handsome. Isn't so I'm using those words to be able to formulate a thought. Very, very young, I realized that thinking in words is kind of inefficient. And so I read somewhere that there was this scientist that used to think in images. So I decided I'd try that. And it's hard, especially at first. So you think, the image of that guy in the white shirt, it's a whole different thing. But if you can do it, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So you can think a lot better and a lot faster. Thinking in images allows you to do things that your vocabulary may not. Now, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, if you remind me, today, because it's now time to take this somewhere else. Wouldn't you have loved to be alive when they invented that microprocessor and you could say, boy, everybody's going to have a computer so you can start inventioning your own ideas and changing the future? Well, today, something bigger and more important, more revolutionary than the microcomputer or the microchip is happening. And it's called artificial intelligence. Have you heard about AI? If you haven't, wait till tomorrow. By tomorrow, everybody will have heard about it, and you should, because it's going to literally change this world. Some people think the world will be flat after this. It'll just be such a big change, and it's happening faster than anyone could imagine. And I've really been studying artificial intelligence. And what is it? What is artificial intelligence? And people have all their big definitions. So, but me, you know, I want to bring it down to something we can touch. So in a most simplistic form, artificial intelligence is a computer that programs itself. It writes its own program. Usually in a computer, it can only do exactly what we program in each little step, then this one, then this one, then this one. But when you reach artificial intelligence, it means that you've got a program that is so advanced and so powerful that it has learned how to write its own programs and then be able to execute them. And so it can learn things that we could perhaps teach it, but it can even learn things beyond what we know. And it gives a capability to do things that are shocking. And today we're just barely, barely at the beginning of this complete revolution. A lot of people are terrified by artificial intelligence. 
because they see the power of what it can do and they say, it's going to destroy everything. It is powerful. And I think that it's important that we get on top of it. It is going to change your world. And to me, that means there's an opportunity for every one of you to ride this wave, to be part of, of the excitement and what can happen. And we have to control this technology so that it serves us. Technology is, is a wonderful thing, especially when we use it properly. Now, we've been growing einkorn wheat. And, you know, in the good old days, before I was born, they would grow wheat, and then when it was all ripe and ready to harvest, they get a thing called a sickle. What's a sickle? It's a knife on the end of a stick. And why did they put it on a stick so they didn't have to bend over? But they'd go out in the wheat field and then swing the sickle, and they'd cut down the wheat. That'd be okay if you had a little wheat patch. But what if you had a big one? What if you're trying to feed einkorn wheat for all the science life kids. Can you imagine? That's a lot of swing. And after it all falls over, then you gotta go gather up the wheat and you have to thrash it. You have to knock the wheat out. And that's very, very labor intensive. So here's this magical einkorn wheat, and I call it magical because kids that have gluten intolerance seem to do real well eating it. When I heard that, I just said, boy, we need to get the word out. And then I found out it's very hard to get it, which is funny because einkorn wheat has been around 10,000 years. It's ancient wheat. And some of you say, oh, has it got corn in it? No, that's just the name. I don't know why they call it einkorn, but it's just, it's a ancient wheat. It grows tall. And so... I did a project, and we've talked about it a few times, where we worked very hard to get some seed and to grow it and get more seed and grow it and grow it. And now we're producing enormous quantities of it, and I'm building up a stockpile because I'm, I'm planning to blast it out to the whole world so everybody has a healthy wheat. <laughs> but I'm not harvesting it with a knife on a blade called a sickle. It would have never been possible to harvest the amount that I planted. Last year we harvested 300 acres, which is a lot of wheat. But we did it, not with a sickle, we did it with a green thing. A green thing? Yeah, you want to see it? <laughs> yeah, let's see the This green is thing. a green thing. There it goes. That is a big green this thing. is a John Deere combine. You see the wheat there? It chewed up. Mm -hmm. By the way, John Deere makes these big combines just right up here in Iowa, just north of us. Pretty machine. And uh, yeah, it is an amazing machine, but it can harvest in a minute more than a person could do in a day with a sickle. And that's what technology can do. If you use technology, you can do things that you just couldn't do otherwise. Mm -hmm. But now how dangerous is it? Mm -hmm. If you think about a knife, a knife is a weapon. You, you could actually hurt someone with a knife. And a lot of people have been hurt with knives. A sword is just a type of a knife. On the other hand, last week, a young person that is a very, very dear friend of mine went in to the hospital and had open heart surgery. 
with a knife. And that surgery saved his life. So is a knife a weapon? Is it dangerous? Or is it a tool of healing? You know, the answer depends on what you fill in your heart. Do you want to bless mankind or do you want to hurt mankind? And I believe that principle applies to AI, to artificial intelligence. It could be used wrong, and there just may be someone left on this wonderful world of ours that thinks they would hurt people with AI. And, and shame on them. We need to put our arm around them and say, hey, buddy, we need to use it right. And it's true with knives. It's true with all weapons. It's even true with our tongue. Sometimes we say things that hurt other people. In fact, I was reading a report very recently where some children at an elementary school were tormenting another student and that student went home and, and took his own life. And that it's sad. And maybe if those friends had not bullied him with words, maybe he could have been helped. So it comes down to it's about how we treat each other. It's about how we care, how much we care. And when you've learned, lived on this earth as long as I have, perhaps you'll learn the big lesson I've learned, and that is happiness comes from making other people happy. That's really where it is. Why do I do it, fellas? Because I love what it does to people. And I hope if there's anything you learn from me, I hope that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But now let's get back on this artificial intelligence. So here's a computer that programs itself, and then it learns, and it learns, and it learns. And they took these deep mind models, and they literally let this computer learn everything it could by reading the whole internet. And it became very smart and very conversant, and there are a lot of things you can do with it. And then they built interfaces that allowed it to do remarkable things. And I think the best way for me to demonstrate that would be to actually do a demonstration. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to use a open AI, open AI chat uh, system, which is available on the internet. You can look at open AI, and you can actually find this, and you can do what I'm doing. All right, so okay. I'm going to give this thing a challenge. I'm going to talk to the AI computer now, and I'm going to say, hi, I'd like you to please do something for me. I would like you to write a story on a fifth grade level that would teach students not to bully. Now, this response will come back from the AI. And I'm also going to ask you if you would please read the response and display it on the screen. Are you ready? Let's see what it gives us. 
Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Sarah. She was in the fifth grade and loved to play with her friends at recess. One day, a new student named Timmy joined her class. Timmy was different from the other kids. He had a hearing aid and spoke a little differently. Sarah's classmates started to make fun of Timmy and Sarah saw it happening. But instead of joining in, she decided to speak up. Stop making fun of Timmy, she said. He's just like us and he deserves to be treated with kindness and respect. At first, her classmates didn't listen and continued to bully Timmy. But Sarah didn't give up. She made sure to include Timmy in games and activities during recess and helped him with his schoolwork. Slowly, Timmy's classmates started to see him as a friend and not just a target for bullying. Timmy and Sarah became great friends and the class learned a valuable lesson about treating others with kindness and respect. Bullying is never okay and it's important to stand up for those who are being bullied and to be a friend to everyone. The end. Okay, now what do you think? I didn't change one word that was completely written by AI. And with just the instruction I gave, it was able to write all of that. So look how much it knew about people, about their feelings, about bullying. And it wrote it on a fifth grade level. It even made it a fifth grade story. Do you begin to realize how powerful this is and the implications that we could have? Let's try something else. Uh, Chatbot. Rewrite this story on a second grade level, please, and use a youth voice. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Sarah. She was in second grade and loved to play with her friends at recess. One day, a new student named Timmy came to her class. Timmy was different from the other kids. He had a special machine to help him hear and talked a little differently. Some kids in Sarah's class started to tease Timmy. Sarah saw this and decided she didn't like it. She told them to stop and be kind to Timmy instead. At first, her classmates didn't listen, but Sarah didn't give up. She made sure to include Timmy in games and activities during recess and helped him with his work. Slowly, Timmy's classmates started to see him as a friend and not just someone to tease. Timmy and Sarah became good friends, and the class learned that it's important to be kind to everyone and not tease them. Bullying is never okay. The end. So all I did was tell it to rewrite it at a second grade level, and I asked it to change the voice that it read what it was writing. Can you begin to see the power of this thing? It knew in fifth grade that a student would probably understand what a hearing aid was. Second grade, it said a machine to help a student hear. It knew how to write on the level. 
Uh, let's give it one more challenge. This time I'm going to make it do something really hard. And remember, if you want to try this, chat AI is how you do it. And you just type in one little line and then watch it come back to you and see what can happen. Okay, this one, chat AI. Rewrite this story, only this time, write it for students in college and read it in a man's voice. The story of Sarah and Timmy serves as a poignant illustration of the detrimental effects of bullying and the power of compassion. Sarah, a fifth grade student, was an observer of the taunts and jeers directed towards Timmy, a new student who had a hearing aid and spoke differently from his peers. Instead of conforming to the prevailing culture of bullying and cruelty, Sarah chose to intervene and exhibit empathy towards Timmy. At first, her classmates disregarded her calls for kindness and continued to bully Timmy. However, Sarah persisted in her efforts to include Timmy in games and activities and helped him with his academic work. Over time, her classmates' perceptions of Timmy began to shift and they eventually saw him as a friend rather than a target for bullying. The friendship that developed between Sarah and Timmy serves as a powerful reminder of the impact of compassion and empathy. It highlights the importance of standing up against bullying and the potential for one person to affect positive change within a community. The story also serves as a call to action for individuals to actively work towards creating a more inclusive and empathetic society. So now we can make another observation. AI must have taken social-emotional or something. <laughs> That's what I was observing. Yeah. Well, I hope you can begin to see the power. And this is being used in many ways to do many things. They're using AI to draw pictures, to create videos, to, well, to do many, many things, and to control robots. Uh, Auto-driving cars are made possible through AI and many other things. But can you see that this is so powerful that the world is suddenly going to change? When we got big green machines that would combine the wheat and clean it and give it to us in a form we could eat, then we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to spend most of our day growing food. We could do other things. This AI is going to change so much of what we need to do. And if you realize that what that means is there's a huge opportunity for those that will extrapolate ahead and see where the opportunities are, but that's what you need to get ready for. And that's then a new mission for Acellus. We're training students to operate in a world where AI is everywhere because here it comes and it's coming fast. And it's a different kind of world. If I had this AI chatbot, I could put in a, a half of a sentence and I could get a writing assignment done to submit to writing tutor. And writing tutor say, boy, you write well. Uh, actually, it turns out that we have a way of telling if it was written by you or by a chatbot. <laughs> Shucks. But, That's kind of good. But the point is, in this world, is it more important to be able to write or to be able 
to direct chatbots. I don't think you can really direct a chatbot until you learn to write. You have mm -hmm. to learn how. But then when you have learned how, which means you need to do your own writing assignments, but then you need to learn how to direct a chatbot. Now remember earlier I said, most of the time people think in words. Mm -hmm. They just think. When I started studying Portuguese, at first, it was pretty difficult, but as I became more affluent and as I learned more vocabulary in Portuguese, I got to the point that I could start to think in Portuguese. And, and I can do that. Hey, que coisa, que que você está fazendo? And I, I don't have to think in English and then translate it like I did right at first. I can actually think in Portuguese. And then I told you about how, at a young age, I started developing the ability to be able to think in images. And that allowed me to think of things I didn't know how to describe. AI has created the opportunity, and, and I'm going to say even the need, the necessity, of a new kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I call it <clears throat> conceptual thinking. As I have been working with the chat AI, I found that as I typed things in for it to do, it didn't do as well as I thought it should. And then I realized it's because what I had typed in wasn't very well thought out conceptually. And so I had to develop my ability to think much more clearly <laughs> to be able to get it to output. And by the way, the things this output were not my first attempts, <laughs> okay? So is it our job in Acellus to figure out how to tell if someone had AI write their writing assignment, or is it our job to teach them how to get AI to harvest their wheat? You see what I mean? So back in my early university days, I started taking chemistry and physics, we would use a slide rule to solve problems. And a slide rule was like a ruler with a slider in the middle and a lot of numbers printed on it that we could use to multiply, to divide, to solve problems. And right during my first year of college, Hewlett-Packard came out with the first scientific calculator. And if anybody was caught with one of those calculators taken in an exam, they get expelled for cheating. Two years later, no one would take a, an exam without a calculator. <laughs> Why figure out how to do multiplication in logarithms on a slide rule if there was a simple calculator? And from then on, everyone was going to use a calculator for those kinds of things. And so they started teaching us how to use a calculator. And I think the same kind of thing applies here to AI. So yes, we are working on a course in AI. And we're going to teach that because that is the knowledge that's going to empower our graduates to do the big things. And you ought to start thinking about what you could do with AI, what kind of creative things. AI is a, a computer that has the ability to work very, very hard and to keep learning and learning and learning. When, when I write a program, and I, I do write 
some computer programs. I write a program and then I try running it. And quite often it blows up and doesn't work and I look at it, oh yeah, and I fix it. Finally get it working and I think, you know, I could make it more powerful if I would do this and I change it. Ah, and I could do this too. What if the program could just look at itself and say, you know what I could do that would be better? I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do that. It wrote this story because it went around and read everything it could find on the internet. And it put all of that into a huge computer memory and then it said, okay, what do you want me to do with everything I've learned? And I said, well, write a story on a fifth grade level that would teach students not to bully. Where did it get the name Sarah? I don't know. Maybe it came from the guy with the white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe, but it did. And it, it's fascinating. I did another little experiment where I had the chatbot create a web page for a store that sells tropical fish for fish tanks, salt water. And I said, create a website using HTML and CSS for a tropical fish store, and I just give it a little stuff. And it wrote the HTML, which could then be executed. And it even went in and figured out all the kinds of fish I was going to sell in the store, and described all the fish, and even got to the number. If you have any questions, call us. And it put in the telephone number. But it didn't know the number of my fish store because I don't have one. And so it made up a telephone number. I should call that. <laughs> Hello, chat AI. But it hallucinates. You know, today Google announced their big chatbot. They, they demonstrated it. And they asked it a question. And it, the question was, when was the first planet outside of our solar system discovered? And the big Google chat engine came back and said, it was discovered by the Webb telescope. But it wasn't. It was discovered clear back in 2004 but we had, before we had the telescope. And people, <laughs> it got it all wrong. Google stock went down today. But you know, people don't understand. That chatbot didn't do anything wrong. It just told us based on what it, what it had programmed into it. In the OpenAI AI chatbot, up until just this last week, if you go in and say, chatbot, what is three plus four? And say, three plus four is seven. And then you say, chatbot, three plus four equals nine. And you'd say, okay. And then you say, what is three plus four? Three plus four is nine. Now, who's crazy, it or you? But it would do that. And so it's learning from you. And it allows you to teach it and to mold it and direct it. So uh, now in OpenAI, they have added a calculator to their chatbot because it says it doesn't do math very well. Of course it doesn't. It does whatever you say. You know? What is two plus one? Three. No, it's no. fingers. <laughs> so anyway, ways of looking at things. But this is going to be big, and it's going to give you endless possibilities, 
And it's going to mean a lot of menial tasks. People say, it's going to take away jobs. And I think of the jobs it's going to take away, like all that menial writing, and I think, thank you, chatbot. <laughs> it makes me and my time much more valuable. Mm. And hooray for anybody that can see what's coming. And those of you that are really wise are going to be firefly catchers. And you're going to think, OK, so this is here, and this is here. Then what's going to happen? And you're going to start using your conceptual thinking. And you're going to say, well, that's probably going to make this happen. Wow. And then I think it would make that happen. And pretty soon, you will be seeing tomorrow better than most. When you see tomorrow before everybody else does, there's some wonderful opportunities. Knowledge, which is the whole purpose of education, is giving you the power to make things you want to have happen really happen and have them happen the way you want them to. And I think this is just going to add in. I am really excited about leading the charge in education regarding artificial intelligence. People are going to be a lot smarter because of this. They really are. And we're going to start clarifying our thinking. I'm thinking, man, I haven't spent that much time interacting with the chatbot, but already I've sharpened my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I have meetings with people, and they're going on. I say, wait a minute, you guys aren't thinking sharply. You're not focusing. You're not really. And then all of a sudden I realize, whoa, I wouldn't have said that a week ago. <laughs> but it's true. So this is an opportunity to not only see tomorrow better than most, but to prepare for it. So study hard, learn, and remember the foundational question that makes it all worthwhile, and that is make a decision right now that you're going to dedicate your whole life to inspiring and blessing others. Thank you.